Welcome back. You are listening to Nate the Hate on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to like the video and subscribe if you haven't already. And let us know your thoughts on today's topic in the comments section below, which is going to be about the PlayStation 5 in 2022. This is part two of this discussion where we are going to focus on PSVR 2 and Sony's upcoming Project Spartacus, which will introduce legacy platforms to the PlayStation 5, of which will include the PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, PlayStation Portable, and the PlayStation 3 to some capacity. And I'd like to welcome in my co-host, Modern Vintage Gamer. What's up, Nate? Great to be here, and I'm looking forward to this discussion. Yes, I know you have a lot to say about the PlayStation 3 and Cell and how that wonderful, wonderful ship just continues to plague us with backwards compatibility issues and we will get it into that topic in the second half of this episode but i have something sweet to say to you mvg it's a poem go on if you will roses are red violets are blue don't let a wild pube wreck you valentine's day is just around the corner and our sponsors at manscaped are here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion this V-Day, it's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming, with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code NATETHEHATE for 20% off and free shipping. And now, MVG, will you have a pube wreck your V-Day this year? Well, you know, Nate, the holidays went by really quickly. And you remember to take care of your package with the best tools for the job, the performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is just the thing that every guy needs in their life to make each and every day a little more special. The number one product in the package is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is designed to trim hair on loose skin. And get this, the trimmer's advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate balls. It even has a 4,000K LED spotlight. So I would like to propose making Valentine's Day a national holiday as I think this one holiday that men and women can get behind. Now, this package also includes the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer to whack all the worst of your weeds. And Manscaped will even throw in two free gifts in their shed travel bag and anti-chafing box briefs to keep your boys stored comfortably. And to complete the package, you will receive the liquid formulations like the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. So you really can't go wrong with Manscaped. And Nate, once again, why don't you let the fine listeners know about the exclusive offer that we have for them today? Yes, Manscaped created their products for a night just like this and will make your V-Day date say, wow, great set of balls you have there. And you get 20% off and free shipping with the code NATETHEHATE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code NATETHEHATE. That's one word, NATETHEHATE. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. And you know what else we're going to be shooting? We're going to be shooting some hot takes with the PlayStation VR 2, which is coming out in 2022. Another little poem and rhyme right there. <laughs> and, you know, what? let's start with the release date of PSVR 2. And when are you anticipating that this will come to market? Sometime between September and November. I just don't know when 
Sony will want to release the PSVR 2. Um, and this goes back to our discussion last week surrounding games like God of War and The Last of Us remake as well. I feel like they will want to slot in the PSVR 2 release somewhere in in that kind of mix as well. But if I was to, to kind of just make a, an educated guess at this time, I'd probably say we're looking at around September of this year. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with that window. I'm thinking September to October, we'll see the introduction of PSVR 2 for PlayStation 5. And we know one of the big titles for the platform right now is the Horizon game from Gorilla and Fire Sprite. And, you know, it feels as though they're going to try to replicate what they did with PSVR 1. They're going to slot it in just before the holiday. Yeah. Because it's it's still a niche product. It's going to have limited availability. It's going to be priced at a high point. Mm-hmm. And as much as VR has begun to kind of become a little more casual with the introduction of the Quest and those types of products that have a lower entry point, it's still that niche market. It's really for the enthusiast. Those with more, you know, disposable income than they care to admit. They just want a new toy. And I mean, frankly, you also need a PlayStation 5, which is still very difficult to come by. So if you can introduce it in second half of September, first half of October, I think you're going to find an audience. You're going to sell out for the holiday. And it really does match what they did with PSVR 1. And I think they're going to try to use that again and just use some of that momentum to go into that holiday season where hopefully they have that big holiday title, as you mentioned, be it the last of us remake or God of war Ragnarok. Cause if you don't have that big holiday title and this is just, you know, in theory, Mm -hmm. at least PSVR two will give the current PlayStation five owner something big to look forward to something big to spend money on. And you'll have titles like that, horizon vr game to immerse yourself with and hopefully the title is quality and it is something that is really immersive and expansive that sells you on vr in a new way so it feels as though you got something worthwhile to play during the holiday season of 2022 on your playstation 5 because if they don't have a big game vr2 can be slotted in as kind of a replacement to at least the current install base I do really think it's refreshing that Mark, uh, that Sony is taking a uh, a gamble on PSVR two mm-hmm. because I mean even though the original PSVR sold very well for them I think probably exceeding expectations this PSVR two isn't going to be a slam dunk for them I feel like they're taking a bit of a risk on this one you know like first of all like you said there is a global shortage right now you can't get a PS five. So that that's already you know um, I guess you know you're you're or, you're already kind of against you know the headwinds there, and then there's the the idea of well what games is this going to come out with? Yeah, the Horizon game is is kind of a a genius move because hey it's Horizon it's going to sell a lot it's probably going to um, be responsible for the sales of a lot of VR units, mm-hmm. but I have a PSVR and I really like it. But I will tell you, I think like most of us, you know, you kind of use it for a while and then you put it in the closet and you never used it again. Now, a lot of it has to do with the fact that the technology 
you know, relied on so many different cables. Um, and yes. yes, this new one only has one and we'll talk about the mm-hmm. tech tech side as well. But another part of me was it was that, you know, it was that really cool, immersive, you know, tech thing. But other than a handful of games, and when I say a handful, I'm talking about Tetris Effect. I'm talking about Resident Evil 7 and mm-hmm. maybe Astro Astrobot. Those three games for me were kind of the the killer apps, if you will, of the PSVR. Enough for me to say this is this is a worthy product. But mm-hmm. I think if PSVR two is going to outperform PSVR, which I think that is probably something that Sony really has to put a lot of work into, they have to bring some really high quality games to the to the table and potentially and I hate to say it but some live servicey kind of persistent online games Ooh. as well that that you know that you know that you don't kind of beat in a single player outing after 10 hours and never touch your VR no. system again they want you to keep using this thing they want to sell more units so you know offering something that's more online you know live service would could be the the thing that they're really looking for this go around We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At The Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that all has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you have, you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative a construction off the <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely entirely check out the gaming blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now yeah with psvr1 software there were definitely some highlights like for me bumper in vr was phenomenal very good yep but there's also titles like Beat Saber. Yep. And Beat Saber is fantastic. I wouldn't say PSVR 1 was the ideal way to play, especially with, you know, the glow sticks and the camera tracking. It worked well in the game, but it feels as though it would have been one of those titles that had I had a Quest or one of the more advanced VR solutions on the current market, it would have been more enjoyable just from a control standpoint. There are also titles like Super Hot VR, which... Yeah generally worked well given the confines that psvr1 had to operate in but even the until dawn on rail light gun shooter yep which was fantastic the first way or the first time through because it had a lot of jump scares it was new it was refreshing but it wasn't really a title i saw myself going back to after completion because i knew what to expect it's still a fun game but then there's titles like batman vr it was only a couple of hours. It's a tech demo. Really more of a PSVR yeah. tech demo. I loved it. Like I, I loved yes. every moment of that of that game. I just, you know, it ended too early and it was like, that was really fun. And you play it one more time and you're like, yeah, this is really cool. And then you never play it again. <laughs> and that's okay. Exactly. But I I don't know if if that will fly in 2022 and beyond, you know, like I think mm-hmm. if Sony is going to really 
invest heavily on PSVR, and I applaud them for it because I, I, you know, to be honest, Nate, I wasn't sure if they would bring a follow-up to PSVR, even though it did so well for them. You know, it's not necessarily something that they need to invest money on. You know, like you could argue right. that, look, it's really all about the f- the first-party games that we deliver. And uh, mm-hmm. But I, I do, you know, really applaud them for bringing out v- PSVR 2, but I am... I've got a question mark around what we're going to see with this system other than the Horizon game. See, software is definitely that area that I have concern with because when I look back at PSVR 1, and yeah, there's some quality games that we have mentioned. There's also titles like Moss that oh, yeah. kind of came out of nowhere. Or, um, I like Moss. I can't think of the name of this other thing. Uh, Genie, what was it? Graffiti Genie? I've never heard of that one. I can't something genie. I can't think of the first words of the title. Like they were really good VR games. The problem was they there weren't enough. VR reminds me of Sony's other testing experiments, like the iToy. Yeah. They come out with a few projects that seem unique and fun, and then they abandon it. Or I hate to use that as an example because it's going to anger people. But VR kind of feels like the PlayStation Vita. Yeah. They show you this first year of commitment. And then they kind of sit to say, you know what? We need the resources of our developers elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And it's forgotten. And it's left to third-party developers and indie studios to really pick up the slack from Sony's now lack of interest in their own hardware, their own accessory. And I don't want to see that happen with PSVR 2. If you're going to commit to VR, like Sony appears to be doing, then you have to be fully invested. Yeah. You have to put your best teams on projects. It can't just be the C studios. We want to see big titles like this Horizon game on PSVR. That's what we want from Sony. I want to see titles like Resident Evil Village in yep. VR. I want to see Resident Evil 2 get an update for it. Yes. Know. like I want these big titles that are going to deliver me this immersive experience that I can't get anywhere else. I don't want it to be an afterthought to Sony within the first 12 months. Because if it becomes that again, you're kind of saying to the general audience that you like VR as a console manufacturer and even as a developer, you're intrigued by it. But you're just not that into it enough to really make a committed relationship with it. And when you're asking you know, several hundred dollars for such an accessory. Yeah. You know, it kind of creates consumer hesitation. And you cannot have that when you're trying to make this the next means of entertainment. And hopefully, you know, Sony is aware of this and they are putting the resources into it that it, you know, requires. Now, will that happen? Remains to be seen. Based on what we saw at PSVR 1, I'm definitely hesitant to believe that Sony is going to fully invest in PSVR 2. Hopefully they do, because we have seen some fantastic VR games on PC in just the last couple of years. And one of them that I'm going to bring up now has been in some of the rumor headlines. And hopefully it is a title that Sony has been able to court to PSVR 2. And that's Half-Life Alex. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a massive title for them if they get it. I mm-hmm. I think I like to think that they have that game 
for PSVR two, but it's not it's not a lock, you know. Let's let's be very clear. Like Gabe Newell and Sony, they've butted heads over the years many many times. So there's there's no guarantee <laughs> that th- this game will be on PSVR two. But again, you know, if you ask me to, you know, would I would I put money down? I think so. I mean, it has to come out for this system, right? Like you, you've got you've got a killer app, you know, a killer VR app like Half Life Alex, which you can only play on a PC right now. So if Sony, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that they, they've done everything they can to secure this game for the PlayStation 5, PSVR 2, because I think it would be absolutely incredible in that scenario, you know. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I, I would say most likely Half-Life Alex is a part of their plans for PSVR 2, maybe even their launch plans or their launch window. But, uh, yes. you know, we'll, we'll have to see. And if that's the case, then, yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, I think a lot more people are probably getting excited about PSVR 2 at that point. That's the thing. Like a title like Half-Life Alex would be a big launch game. That would really sell people on this device because, as you mentioned, it's on PC. Not everyone has a PC that can run this type of game. Well, you need and- an Ocula. Uh, what do you need? Uh, you need the the Vibe or the... Um, yeah, Steam's um, VR headset. The mm-hmm. name escapes me, but you got to you got to drop at least. And look, you, we'll, we'll talk about the price of the PSVR here shortly. But you know, you're, you're probably in about six or seven hundred dollars before you can play Half Life Alex. You know, um, mm-hmm. on on your PC, and then you need a good, a decent enough PC to run the game as well. You know, with a and you don't need like a top of the range RTX graphics card, but you need a fairly decent pc to kind of run the game so you you're you're investing a lot of money just to play one game you know right yeah and you know the pc enthusiast or the pc gamer some of them are more willing to buy you know like the vive headset to Mm -hmm. play half-life alex whereas the console gamer is a little more i don't want to use the word cheap they're a little more frugal right when it comes to such expenditures to say, oh, I'm going to buy a PS VR 2. And let's get into the price that we're expecting for PS VR 2. We've seen the pricing of other VR headsets on the market. We know you can get a Quest 2, depending on like the memory and such, for I believe as little as $299. Yep. Where do you think Sony is going to price PlayStation VR 2, do you think they're going to make it competitive with these more mass appeal units like a Quest? Or do you think they're just going to say, this is a high-end device, this is for the PlayStation 5, we're coming in at a premium? I think they're not really that too concerned about competing with other VR headsets. I think this is really more about keeping it with the confines of what they know most people that own a PS5 are willing to to spend. And before I give you the price, I want to kind of quickly just go over the spec. So this is a high-end VR headset. It's got 4K HDR, 110 degrees field of view, OLED displays at a resolution of 2000 by 2040 per eye. So 4K running at either 90 or 120 hertz. Uh, it's got headset-based control tracking. It's got the, the the new sensory features as well. 
where, you know, you kind of turn your eye in a certain direction and uh, it will track, you know, your movements. I mean, this is this is a pretty big deal. You know, there's, um, you know, you com- combine the headset obviously with, you know, haptic feedbacks and adaptive triggers and the dual sense and the the VR sense controllers as well. I mean, this is a a high end VR solution, especially considering the original PSVR was anything but. It was probably considered kind of the the low end of the of the scale, even when it came <laughs> out. So, with that in mind, how much do I think this is going to cost? I think this is going to be the same amount of money you're going to spend on a PlayStation Five. In other words, I think this is a four hundred ninety nine dollar system. I was thinking maybe based on the specs that it would be higher, but mm-hmm. I can't see how a VR accessory, no matter how impressive the specs are and how kind of modern the, the, the tech is, that it would ever be more expensive than the base console. So I'm I'm going to put it right next to the PS5 at $499. And that is, um, that's expensive. But we also know that people are willing to spend that amount of money on a PlayStation 5. And in many cases, you know, they're willing to pay more because you can't get them. But um, what do you think? I mean, I'm curious about your thoughts. I was thinking maybe they would drop $100 off that and make it $399. But that just seems way too cheap based on the tech that I I just mentioned, you know. I mean, PSVR introductory price was 399 yes and even then that was it was a lot of money then i Absolutely. remember the price being like wow especially i mean as you mentioned like the technology and how it used the playstation move controller it playstation move controllers weren't new technology by any means this was data technology dating yeah. back to the playstation 3 I could see Sony trying 399 with PSVR 2 to create that sense of value. That would be incredible. That would be incredible value for money. If they can get this at 399, that is I mean you you can immediately tell they're being very aggressive about the pricing of this thing. They want to sell as many of these things as they can. And maybe, you know, maybe it, at that point, maybe it is a promise of, look, we're going to offer this to you cheaper than we, we should really offer it. We only have a handful of games right now, but if you buy in now, um, you know, we're going to support this. You know, if we sell a lot of these things, mm-hmm. we're going we're gonna to support this for the duration of the PlayStation 5. I don't think personally that it will be $399. As much as I've toyed around with that idea, I feel like they're going to offer it four ninety nine eight, and maybe throw in the Horizon game as a pack in for the system, and and maybe just another demo disc full of those kind of tech demos they had, like the the first PSVR where they had that PlayStation Worlds thing, whatever it was called, where yeah. you know you had the you were swimming with the dolphins and you were scuba diving and jumping out of airplanes and stuff. Um, so I feel like we're going to get something along those lines. I think it's going to be four ninety nine with. A pack in title, maybe mm-hmm. maybe Horizon is a part of that that conversation as well. See, like four ninety nine, it's definitely just that psychological point of this is as much as the console, and yeah, PSVR costs just as much as a PlayStation Four. But it it's that psychological barrier of if I want to buy a PS Five and a PSVR two, this is going to cost me a thousand dollars. 
that's a lot of money, especially if you want to play, you know, just as the example, Half-Life Alex. That's almost getting to a price range where that may be what it costs you just to get a PC that could run the game plus a VR headset. And I think that's where if I'm Sony, I want to come in a little lower. I want to if I want to price this so that current PS5 owners kind of feel as though it's a deal. Yeah, it's cheaper than that PlayStation 5 I just bought. It's only $400 instead of five. So I'm going to buy it this holiday. I'm going to play these handful of games and I'm going to enjoy it. $500, they can definitely get away with it because it is that niche product. It's not for everybody. It's for that small enthusiast group. I mean, PSVR 1 as of January 2022 has sold 6 million headsets. It's not bad. It's not bad, especially for VR. Right. It's just, it's not that mass consumer product. Sony is probably anticipating something very similar to the reception of VR 2. Maybe a little higher. Maybe their goal is lifetime. Maybe they can finally sell 10 million units. Mm Mm-hmm which is definitely a high goal to set if I'm Sony. But even to match it at 6 million, it's still a high number. But I think if you come in just at a little lower price, you're going to have that appeal where you're going to have, you might have some of the people who were introduced to VR with a Quest. Right. And now you see Sony with these big games that aren't available anywhere else. And if you can have the price be as close as possible, you might get that investment from that curious consumer who's had introduction to VR, but now you're offering them the next level of VR. 399 would be incredible. I, I think, it, I think it would that, be. that would be amazing. I mean, like when the VR came out, I, I want a PlayStation VR through Taco Bell. So <laughs> <laughs> did you play Resident the- Evil 7 on it? Yes. Because for me, that was probably the best VR experience I'd, I'd had on PSVR. I loved every minute of it. Yeah, Resident Evil 7 in VR was a phenomenal experience. I remember when I played the kitchen demo, because that was one of the first things I mm-hmm. tested when I got the VR headset in. And just watching the character walk towards you and stare at you was actually unnerving. Oh, dude, the game scared the, the F out of me. When I played it, I, I played I played it exclusively on VR, like the whole the whole all the way through. It was an incredible experience, and I um I want to experience that again, you know. And I want to yes, I want Sony to commit to more of those Resident Evil games on PSVR too. So yes, look, I, I think I think you know you can't rule out three ninety nine. I, I I what you say absolutely has a lot of merit there, but I also feel like. Man, they're taking a they're taking a I don't want to say a significant uh, loss on hardware, but they're definitely taking a loss if they're selling trying to sell this for three ninety nine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be one of those cases where they're willing to take that loss just to grow the install base. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, like you said, I mean, if they if they sell it at three ninety nine, they have a couple of things ready to go at launch, but they do a state of play where they show off, you know, Resident Evil. Village has a VR mode, is getting a VR mode, and, uh, you know, some online service game that people love to play is getting a (laughs) VR mode, and Ace Combat 8 is coming out that has VR and, you know, just all that sort of stuff. Then, yeah, I mean, I think that's enough for people to get interested in VR. Yeah, I mean, and what we've seen from other companies like Facebook or Metaverse, Mm -hmm. whatever they like to be called these days, we've seen them actually court 
publishers and developers to make exclusive content for their platform. Like you can only play Resident Evil 4 VR on their platform. Yes. And that will be exclusive to Facebook forever. They paid for that title. I would love to see Sony invest some money into projects like that. Not necessarily Resident Evil 4 VR, but just projects in the similar vein where they go to Capcom and get the exclusive version of you know, Resident Evil Village, Resident Evil 2 and VR to create that sense of urgency and need for their device. I don't want to just see games like Village as it is now with a VR mode right. shoehorned in. Right. I want to see the games tailored specifically for VR 2. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's going to take a lot of investment from Sony, but that's going to tell us how committed they truly are to this device. If we don't see that type of investment from sony within those first 12 months i definitely have a lot of concern for the platform and if i didn't invest in a vr headset myself within those first 12 months and i'm not seeing that level of commitment from sony they're likely not going to see an investment from me yeah that, that's a good point like i want to get a psvr too because i really like the psvr and i i think the tech is is incredible but i will say this you know if if they're kind of hanging their hat on the horizon call call of the wild is that what it's called call of the something and then uh potentially half-life alex that is not going to be enough for me to say yes i'm i'm jumping on board like i need to see the roadmap of of what they're working on and uh, look sony has always been great at that they've always teased and and shown us you know things Mm -hmm. that are up and coming so i expect the marketing around this and the way that they try to sell this next generation of VR to their customers to be quite good. Because I think there's a, there's another underlying question that's like, well, you already made me buy a VR system. So why am I buying another one? You know, and Mm -hmm. it's not the same conversation as I'm upgrading to a PS5 from a PS4 because a lot of people don't necessarily understand why, you need to upgrade your headset. I mean, why? I mean, you can you can plug a PSVR four into your PS five, right, via that adapter, and mm-hmm. use it. But the the other question I have for you, Nate, is: Will you be able to play PSVR four games or PSVR games on PS four as backward compatible titles on your PS five and experience it through the new headset? Based on information that I have had relayed to me, PSVR 2 is not going to be backwards compatible with PSVR 1 software. So you will not be able to play Batman VR, the Until Until Dawn, Beat Saber, any of the games that are offered on PlayStation VR 1 right now mm-hmm. with the PSVR 2 headset. And the reason appears to be the tracking right. of the new headset. And... To me, that's disappointing news. That's, it's disappointing that if I want to play those older games again on my PlayStation 5, I have to plug in my PSVR 1. And I understand the technical reasons, perhaps, why this couldn't happen. But it also feels as though if there was a will, there was a way to make it happen. And maybe this is a case of Sony looking at the games that they had on PSVR 1 say, what if we make an enhanced version yeah. that we can re-release on the new headset. Like a title like Beat Saber 
would likely play a lot better natively with PSVR 2 than PS4 on PSVR 1, just due to the controller change and the tracking. It'd be a completely new experience that is far superior on a VR 2. So sell it again for $30, get the double dippers. And a I think that will. People. Yeah, I think they will. I mean, I could see that, and and that's that's a f- look. I mean, we know Sony already does that. They'll, they'll bring an enhanced version of the game to PS5, mm-hmm. a native version, and maybe you know charge you an extra ten bucks or something for an upgrade. I can see that happening again, especially if there is no backward compatibility, as you mentioned. Now, do you mm-hmm. think it's something that they that is kind of set in stone, or do you think it's something that's not happening for launch, but potentially they could bring it later on because. The difficulty I have with PSVR 2 is that for those people that have a PlayStation 5 and have a PSVR system, they can use their PSVR on a PS5 with, with their mm-hmm. adapter. So there's going to be some people asking the question, why, why do I need to upgrade to another headset? Why are you offering me this? I already have a headset. And I think that's Sony really has to try to figure out how to explain that, you know, to the average person that has a VR headset. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because, I mean, it's definitely going to come down to their marketing because to kind of like that casual consumer, you're going to say, well, I have the headset. It works Yeah, on my PlayStation 5. So what do I need? why am I not able to play these games? And Sony really has to make clear, like, it's because of tracking. It's because of X, Y, and Z reasons. Right. And even like with the backwards compatibility or lack thereof, I mean, it's surprising that they couldn't find a solution. Maybe it's something that comes in the future, but based on what I have heard, it doesn't seem to be in the plans. And it's likely just so they can sell you maybe enhanced versions of some of these games. But I mean, again, from that technological point, I can understand it. It is disappointing. But if I can play some of these games with superior controls, superior visuals, image quality, I guess I'm better off doing that. But it would be nice to have the option of saying, hey, I can play until dawn free of the seven wires that were required to play it on the PSVR one. Now it's a little more relaxed. I'm loose. I'm limber. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that won't be a case unless they re-release it as a native PS5, PSVR2 game. Right. And I think we'll see some of that. You know, we'll definitely see some enhanced versions of, of older titles. And uh, that's the right right play for them as well. But, you know, they also have to come, come out with some new stuff that really takes advantage of, of the hardware. Mm-hmm. Half-Life Alex is, is one of those titles. The Horizon... Call of the West, Call of the Wild. I'm sorry, I, I don't remember the name, but that's that's another game. <laughs> but they they have to have a a roadmap of new yeah. VR experiences that we've never seen yes. before that that they offer up. And I think they will. You know, I think some of their first parties are preparing games as we speak, and probably some third parties as well. Maybe Capcom mm-hmm. is looking at you know a new Resident Evil experience for PSVR. You know that would be incredible. You know, maybe to where this is maybe Konami, right? Oh, you're going to say Silent Hill. <laughs> you're going to say Silent Hill. I you? am Silent Hill. Silent Hill VR. VR. I mean, look, Ooh. if that happens, I'll take back everything I ever said about Silent Hill. <laughs> uh, that would be that would be incredible. 
But, you know, even like Ace Combat, like Ace Combat 7 had a VR mode and it was only a couple of levels, but man, it was, it was, it was awesome. It was amazing. So, you know, um, Bandai Namco, you know, if they offer up something as well. So I'm hopeful that, that when it does come time for them to have, we'll just say a state of play where they, they give us more information about PSVR 2. The, the release date and the price that we will see not only, hey, these games are coming out during the launch window, but also, you know, these are the games that are currently being developed right now. And I think that would be enough for me to be like, yep, I'm, I'm on board with this. I'm going to go pick one up. Yeah, I think they really need to just drive home at least six big quality games in that initial like PSVR 2 state of play that are just wow. Like, that looks awesome. I need to play that in VR. I can only play it on PlayStation 5. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And then they're in that really good position. And if they can show us a roadmap of what they hope to deliver, even if it's just like, hey, the new Twisted Metal game that is yeah. going to be coming in the future, we plan to have VR support. Like, okay. The Last of Us remake, we plan to have some sort of VR support, be it even if it's just a third person floating camera type of view we're gonna have it there for you i'm sure we're gonna see titles like a new moss or another astrobot mm-hmm. vr type experience and if they, they just need to show that diversity and commitment to vr and vr2 can be a big platform for them not only in 2022 but also moving forward and this is a pretty big i don't want to use the term accessory but this is a big platform that Sony can use to differentiate themselves from Microsoft. Yeah. They don't have a VR platform on the Xbox. We do. We have experiences you can't get anywhere else. And that can drive interest to your console. You just have to make it a focus for your company and your developers moving forward. It can't be an afterthought. It can't be something you throw away after 16 or 18 months it has to be something you're committed to and you continue to build and evolve. And Sony definitely has the resources to do so. It's just, do they have the will to continue to make it a meaningful device for consumers and gamers to invest and treat with care? That's always the uncertainty when Sony comes out with these types of products. They just abandon things so frequent that you have to approach with hesitation. Is that a, a tease? Abandoned? That a, better not be on VR. A VR experience? <laughs> a real... Real... If, <laughs> real VR uh, experience? God. I forgot that game ex- I heard it's not called existed. Abandoned anymore. It's called something else now, like Cell Zero or something. Is it really? That's That was the last I, I'd heard about I, it completely stopped following that game that project the fact that it got as much attention as it did was already insulting to like the industry it's best to be forgotten (laughs) (laughs) sorry hassan Hassan. but you had a great marketing scheme there for a little while but you watched it blue box studios god posted a message saying abandoned is actually called zero cell that is the new title of the game. Zero Cell. More like Zero Interest. Zero Cell is actually a good segue into our next topic. 
Yes, it is. <laughs> Which is going to talk about Project Spartacus or Sony's solution to legacy software on PlayStation 5 via means of merging PlayStation Plus with PlayStation Now. And internally, Sony does consider this a Game Pass competitor, though I would say a more apt comparison is Nintendo Switch Online, but good. Whoa. NSO is getting better. I made a video on it. It's not perfect, Fine. but they are fixing <laughs> things. They are fixing things. So. NSO Online, better. <laughs> <laughs> and Project Spartacus will bring forth access to PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, PSP, PlayStation 3 software. Now, I guess the caveat here is none of this is native backwards compatibility. You're not going to pop in your copy of Klonoa right. from PS1 and be able to play that. These games are going to be offered on this service from Sony. Yep. In the next, actually in the foreseeable future, it should be introduced by the spring. Now, how does Sony interpret the word spring? That always varies company to company. So I would anticipate, I'm anticipating an introduction to the service likely after the fiscal year concludes on March 31st. So I would say anytime between April and June is when Project Spartacus will officially launch on PlayStation 5. I'd probably say, yeah, probably sometime mid-May, I would expect it. Yeah, I think... I think Sony is going to relay information about this to their investors once the fiscal year concludes so they can say we're expecting high revenue in our digital sector due to a new subscription service. We are anticipating X amount of new subscribers. Here's some of the pricing tier information. And that's when we'll really get official information on it. I don't see it launching any sooner than that. I would love for it to. But I think we're looking at, you know, that type of window, April through June. Now, the curious thing with this is February's PlayStation Plus lineup just came out and everyone got mad. And some people said, well, maybe it's terrible because Sony is gearing up for Project Spartacus. I don't think the two really have any correlation, but it's clear that people are they're looking for new digital offerings from Sony. Mm -hmm. And. Project Spartacus may be the answer to that. Now, PlayStation 1, to my understanding, is going to be the first platform offered on Project Spartacus at launch. The other platforms, PS2 and PSP, will be introduced a little later in 2022. Yep. Now, PS3 is going to be a streaming solution on the service, similar to what it is now on PlayStation Now. And game streaming is unfortunately, at least at launch, going to be limited to the 19 countries that PlayStation Now currently supports. This will expand over time, but initially at launch, it's going to be the same 19 countries that PlayStation Now is currently in. A lot of people are upset about PlayStation 3 being a stream-only solution. But there is a reason for that. Right, okay. right. I mean, we've, we've talked about the cell processor before. I've made videos about it. It's something that obviously technically is very, very difficult to do. Now, I'm not suggesting that Sony 
can't offer native PlayStation 3 emulation on the PlayStation 5. I think the hardware is powerful enough to run PS3 games. You know, we've seen community efforts like RPCS3 running PS3 games on a mid-spec PC. So the tech is is there, you know. There's really no reason why technically you can't run PlayStation 3 games natively on a PS5. It's It really comes down to the amount of money and investment and resources that Sony have committed to PlayStation 3 backward compatibility. And unfortunately, they haven't really committed much to get PlayStation 3 games to run on their native hardware. And if you look at the history of backward compatibility, Microsoft, when the 360 came out, they were already working on getting OG Xbox games running. They've had such a leg up, such a head start on this because they've committed so much more money and resources and teams to ensuring that their that backward compatible games running 360 games, running Xbox One games, running OG games on their current hardware has always been a priority for them. It's been one of the pillars of what makes the Xbox what it is. And unfortunately, Sony has never really had the same mindset. You know, they, since, you know, the PlayStation 3 was the last great system for for, for that sort of stuff because you could run PS2 and PS1 games. And then slowly over time, they took those features away as well, if you recall, right? And there's never really been a urgency or a a, a feature to, to say, look, we want to we wanna support PlayStation 3, you know, after that. So really at the end of the day, streaming is their only option. And I think what we'll get this time around is Sony has mentioned numerous times that they're investing more money in cloud services, in in, in streaming services. And I think we'll get a much better, you know, access to PlayStation 3's library with a good streaming service, which is a lot better than what you currently get. Because right now it's kind of all over the place, right? And I think, you know, I would expect a level of parity like something like Stadia or Luna mm-hmm. or even xCloud, right? You know, we 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 give a lot of crap to to Stadia because we don't really know why Google keeps supporting it, but the tech is is excellent. I mean, Stadia is a really good cloud streaming service that 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 handles games exceptionally well. The tech is is exceptional. So I think I would expect to see PlayStation 3 games running at that you know, at that level of quality. And I think for the for the most part most people will be happy with that. But yes, there's no technical reason why PlayStation 3 games won't run on a PS5. It's really just about Sony's commitment to to bringing that to us. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's never really been something they've been that focused on. It's all about the future and and their games. And look, it's worked for them. I mean, let's be honest. It worked for them on the PlayStation 4, and it's probably going to work for them on the PlayStation 5. Now, having having said that, is there um, a team that's trying to get PlayStation 3 native games running on the on the PS5? Probably. I mean, probably somewhere in, in, in their R&D labs, you know, they're working on this, but I wouldn't expect to see this anytime soon. It may come up at some point during the PlayStation 5's life cycle, but, 
yeah, for the launch, we'll say, of the Tier 3 of Spartacus or whenever we see PS3 get added. I mean, I think you're right, Nate. I think we'll probably see PS1 first and then the other other systems get added later on. But I think, yeah, PS3 will be kind of streaming only, um, you know, at least for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be curious how Sony really does roll out these platforms. Like PS1, I know, is at launch. PS3 could be there as well because it is a streamed service. PS2 and PSP, because it's going to be similar as the PS1 where they're going to be games, they're not streamed games, Mm -hmm. to my understanding. So it does, I do believe these are titles you download to your system and play. So it would be similar to like... I don't want to say the NSO app, but something that does host these platforms and games so you can play them. So I could see PS3 being there at launch just because it is streamed. PS1 PS1 could potentially launch in the area of 100 games for the service, which is a nice offering of PS1 software. Now, I mean, when you think back to PS1, obviously there's going to be some gems out of that 100 and there's going to be some questionable games of why but that's a nice launch day if they do have 100 playstation 1 games there right out of the gate ps2 and psp coming later i don't think it's that big of a deal because you want to make sure I'm, i'm speculating that the reason they're coming later is because they want to ensure the emulation is up to snuff that it's top quality you don't want a case like we saw with the n64 emulator where fog is missing like ocarina of time or there's considerable input lag you want to bring these games to the best you know the service in the best form possible yeah i would and if i would agree with you so sorry to to interrupt i I would definitely agree with you on that i think they we we know that they have an emulator for ps2 you know the ps2 Mm -hmm. classics right so, yes, I think they're probably spending more time to ensure that the emulation is is rock solid. Now, is there any real reason to be concerned with the emulation of PS2, PS1, or even PSP games on the PlayStation 5, given that we have seen this emula- emulator use on PlayStation 4 right now with, like, PS Now? No, not really. I guess it's it all comes down to expectations and what what you know what customers are looking for because mm-hmm. we've we've been a little bit spoiled by what Xbox has offered because backward compatibility on Xbox at you know as a minimal viable product for some games it's just running the game by back compat but in many scenarios you're not only getting HDR implementation. You're not only getting a 4K up-res, you're getting double frame rates. So we've been, you know, customers kind of are expecting those types of quality of life enhancements. And I am curious whether Sony will offer up a similar thing when they give us PS2 and PSP. And unfortunately, I think the answer is they probably won't. But with that said, I think they need to offer something that's better than PS2 Classics on PS4 right now, which, by the way, works fine. Like, you know, some of the games I've played, like Dark Cloud, Max Payne, GTA, they they run fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with them. They, they are faithful reproductions of the PlayStation 2 versions. But 
is that really enough now, Nate? That's I guess my I'm asking you this question. Given that Microsoft does like to enhance their games for the most part, and even the the Switch Online service, the N64. I mean, even though there's still the N64 games, you can tell there's been improvements made on the resolution. You know, the resolution has been increased, right? Just to sharpen those those edges and, and make it look less blurry, you know? So I think Sony has to offer offer us something along those lines. But the question is, will they give that to us? And I that's one part of this where I, I struggle to, to answer. I mean, that's a great question. And- if I'm Sony, I think I would, if it's feasible, I think I would want to offer the consumer some filtering options. Mm-hmm. So that way you can kind of customize how the image is going to look to your personal preference. Because when you look at some of like the N64 games, I've seen people say, you know, if you just give us a filtering option, it could maybe solve some of these problems. And that could be more complex than many realize. and. With like the PS2 games, as you mentioned, Xbox, yeah, like I'm playing Max Payne on the Xbox and it has auto HDR. Now, is that a, is it like really something that's so noticeable that it's game changing? No, but it's a nice, yeah, yeah. It's, it's enough to kind of make the experience feel a little fresh over what it used to be. So if the PS2 games are identical to PS2, as we remember, you're going to have that nostalgia wave hit you. And, you know, maybe that'll be enough. It's definitely definitely a curious case of how Sony is going to approach these legacy games. Because as you mentioned, like NSO, there are some changes. Even We can even look to the implementation of online multiplayer for games like Mario Kart, Star Fox 64, etc., of adding an extra spice that makes the experience nice. Mm-hmm. Dear God. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like that little feature was a big deal for some people. Will Sony go as far with that to make an online multiplayer that was only local in some of these PS1 or PS2 games? Probably not. I don't think they're going to go that far with it. I think they're just kind of, they're going to keep it to yeah. the original vision as much as they can. Yes. And the appeal of the service is just going to be, we're going to offer you a lot of these games. Right. Whereas NSO gives you a drip feed with not many offerings. I think Sony's going to come out, like we mentioned with the PS1, if you come out with 100 games out of the gate, and let's say you add four or five every month, well, you're working at a clip that's about five times quicker than Nintendo. Absolutely. And if it's always something new coming in as far as the legacy software is concerned, it's going to keep people's interest high because it's, oh, what are they going to add next month? We had Final Fantasy VII this month. Are they going to add eight next? Are we going to add eight and nine next? Right, right. And you offer like that wide variety of titles. Now, yes, there's going to be some licensing issues where you're not going to get every single one of your all-time favorite classics from the PlayStation roster. But if they can offer just the cream of the crop, which there are hundreds of, this will be a very enticing service. Because on paper, this could be phenomenal just because of the rich history the PlayStation has. I have two questions. So the first one is, will you be given the option 
to purchase the game and own it in your digital library, kind of like what you have with Game Pass, where you can buy the game on a small <laughs> discount. Do you think that's an option? From what I have heard, and this is unconfirmed, is that yes, standalone buys will be an option for the consumer. Now, I don't know if it means standalone buys in the sense of you have to be subscribed to the service and then you can buy or standalone buys that anybody can buy. Mm -hmm. So it could be the former where you have to be a subscriber to actually access these games. So I'm unsure of how that would work. And as I said, it's unconfirmed. But I think having standalone buys is a smart move for Sony. Because when you look at Nintendo with NSO, you can't buy any of these games. If I want to play Link to the Past on my Switch, I have to be an NSO subscriber forever. I have to be a lifetime subscriber to rent Link to the Past. Yep. If Sony gives me the option to buy the games, say, you know, for $10, that is an excellent means of marketing. Yeah. It also means that they're committed to it as well. You know, like they're, they're basically yes. telling you that, you know, it's the future generations, you should be able to bring those games with you. It's also promising for third-party publishers. Right. Because the way NSO is structured is Nintendo has to come to them and say, hey, Konami, we would love to have Castlevania on NSO. How much will it take for you to give us access to this title? And they come back with a number and Nintendo pays for it. With a subscription service like this, I'm sure Sony is courting them with probably some form of money. But now you can get revenue from the consumer base who's purchasing your games. That's a win. It's not just a one-time check. You might have a steady income stream now. Mm -hmm. that, that's what we see with Microsoft. And that is the smart way to do business. I'm sure Rockstar and Remedy, however their split is with like Max Payne 1 and 2, they probably love the surge of sales they saw once they were added to backwards compatibility on Xbox Series X. Oh, yeah, most definitely. So the second question is, is this service exclusive to PlayStation 5 or is this something that we'll see on the PS4 as well? This is one of those questions where I struggle to find a good answer for because if this is more focused on the PlayStation Network, if we're, if we're thinking more of this service along the lines of the PlayStation Network itself and irrespective mm -hmm. of the console, then yeah, it should be on both. But then that well and truly eliminates PlayStation 3 as a native option if this will exist on the PlayStation 4. I believe it is PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, which I know that kind of gets a bit confusing because when you look at PlayStation Now on PlayStation 4, you already have access to PS1 and PS2 games and PS3. Right. So why would it have this odd rollout when it comes to PS5? Right. That's kind of one of those questions where even like looking for information to really get clarity was kind of like, it's really hard. It's one of those yeah. situations where it's just not clear. Right, right. And I, I mean, for me, you know, I think, I think you're right. I think it is both. But, you know, going back to the PS3 thing, if anyone still thinks that PS3 is native and they are going to roll this out to both PS4 and PS5. I mean, the answer is right there. PS4 doesn't have 
the horsepower to emulate PlayStation 3, in my opinion. And Mm -hmm. ultimately, you know, unless there's a specific solution for PS5, which I sincerely doubt that to be the case, I don't expect this to happen. That's why I think maybe we'll see native PS3 halfway through the PS5's life cycle when the PS4 is completely out of the picture at that point. That's that's mm-hmm. something that I could see happening. But right now, it's 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 streaming all the way, especially if we're going to see this service on the PS4. Yeah, and like that's my speculation that it's on both platforms. Right. I could very easily see it just be on PlayStation 5. It, it could be. But again, it's like Sony is committing to support the PS4 as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have 100 million plus PlayStation 4 is out there. You want to launch this new subscription service. You want as many people signing up as possible. You don't want to limit it to your new platform that I don't want to say only, but only has, you know, 15 million user base. Right. You want that 100 million base to have some interest in the service. Yeah, it would be it would be a bit of a one-two punch for PS4 owners if they were getting PS5 VR and Spartacus, you know. Oof. I mean, sure, PS4 is getting God of War and 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 Horizon, so they're still eating pretty good this year. But you know, that's also Sony basically telling everyone, "Look, your days are numbered, yeah. PlayStation 4 owners. You need to you need to jump on board." Yeah, your final entrees are being prepared. Everything <laughs> else is going to the other banquet room for the PlayStation 5. <laughs> the buffet is ending. <laughs> now, there is one thing about this, and I know you've raised some concern over it, mm. and it's trophy support. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is a big if deal. Because if this is wrapped as a PlayStation 5 product, Sony's guidelines kind of dictate a requirement of trophy support. That's correct. So for those people that that may not be aware, trophies are an inherent part of any PlayStation game that you you play. Uh, I think ever since the PS3 actually, trophies are a mandatory thing. Maybe not in the days of the PS3, but trophies are mandatory in any game. So if I'm a game developer and I make a game for the PlayStation, I need to have trophies in my game. And when I submit my game to Sony to get certified, they will run through the list of trophies. If you don't have any trophies in the game, then you automatically will not pass certification. Your game cannot be released. So so trophies are a mandatory part of any PlayStation game. Now, can Sony make exceptions to their own software? Absolutely, they can. And they, they could easily just pull that card, right? But on the flip side... If we are truly getting 100 PlayStation 1 games at launch, then each one of those games needs to have a trophy list. And uh, that that does kind of add to the, I guess, the, the point of view, Nate, that PS2 and PSP will be added later because they ultimately could just be preparing trophy lists for all those games as we speak, you know, like... Trying to get trophies into every single one of those games would be a significant time commitment. So maybe they are, you know, going to launch with PS1 to start and then add PS2 later, you know, and PSP. But yeah, trophies is something that I've really kind of struggled with as well because, again, 
it's Sony and they could relax that restriction on their own stuff. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 you know, they can do whatever they like at the end of the day. <laughs> it will probably annoy some developers because the trophy requirement is something that is very strict. But, you know, I also feel like that's one thing that they're actively working on right now for the service to get these games ready. See, like, trophies is something I had investigated and asked around, and there was no mention of trophy support on any of the documents the individuals I had spoken with mm-hmm. had seen. Now, does the omission of trophy support necessarily lead to the correlation of their not being trophy support? No. There could be some form of trophy support, and it simply wasn't in this briefing or there is no trophy support and Sony has yeah. permitted an omission in this case with the service for these types of games. Cause as you mentioned, it does take a lot of time to add trophies to these retro style games. And one of the biggest complaints with the PlayStation two games on PS now, when they did have trophies is that the publisher and developers were saying, this is a lot more effort than it's worth. Right. And that's why we saw it abandoned so quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think Sony probably listened to that and said, you know what, is there an engaged base of players who would love to have trophies in, you know, Parappa the Rapper on PS1 or Gran Turismo 1? Yes, because you just have trophy hunters. Is it worth the investment and the time and resources to make it? Probably not. You're just, just play the game way it was made back in the day and enjoy it this is a nostalgia trip it's for you to relive your memories so i could see that being the route that sony has gone but sony does have a patent to add trophies to older emulated games on their platform right so i mean they are aware of this right and they did they did come out with that patent last year in 2021 almost a year ago of awarding mm-hmm. trophies to emulated games. So this is obviously something that's that's a part of their plans for this service. Now, what, whatever we end up seeing as the final result of this, I don't know, but this is definitely something that's that they have been looking at. <laughs> yeah, like when I was looking into it, there was no specific mention of trophy support and, you know, that does not necessarily mean there is no trophy support it was just something at that and that briefing was not brought up and some of the information you know dating back to when i was having these conversations was to be determined mm-hmm. so things have likely changed or evolved since then because as we mentioned earlier the service is still likely two to three months from actual release and a lot can happen in that time frame the service will be more fleshed out Partners will be given better information, especially if they have titles on the service and how they're going to function, what type of features they may need to include, et cetera. And, you know, it's going to evolve. But in these preliminary details, it's a very promising service. This is kind of what I wish Nintendo would have done with NSO. Go through your legacy software and give us a vast, expansive library and access to your games and give us the option to buy these games. Not that half-assed version that we got. Right. And like Spartacus is not an answer to Game Pass. 
because Game Pass is brand new games. Spartacus will have new games similar to what we've seen with the PlayStation Plus. You'll see some indie games added day one. But as was mentioned in the original article by Jason Schreier on Bloomberg, Sony's not going to put any of their big games on the service day one. Yep. You're not going to get God of War Ragnarok day one on the service. Maybe it is added a year down the line, but that's no different than PlayStation Plus. Right. I could definitely see that, that they, they do that, like maybe a year from, after it's mm-hmm. launch. Like I could see Sony going out of the way to court indies and third parties, similar to what we've already seen them do with the services, to have the games on Spartacus. Like we saw them go to Rockstar to have Grand Theft Auto 3 on PlayStation Now, day one. Those types of moves I can see them doing with the service. And I guess in that sense, it's a competitor to Game Pass. But it's definitely not a direct competitor. Absolutely. It's, it's a subscription service. Right. That's where it's a competitor. It's a competitor for your time and your money. And I like the direction Sony seems to be going here with Spartacus. I love the idea that I will be able to play PlayStation 1 games, have the option to buy them, eventually have PSP and PS2 games. PlayStation 3 as a streaming only solution, it's not ideal. It's something I would need to test firsthand, see how the latency impacts the games, you know, stuff like that. If it's, you know, not really that bad, probably dabble in it here and there. And that's the important thing with nostalgia. And this can be applied to all three platforms. It always sounds good in the mind. Mm -hmm. And then when it actually comes time to play or execute this type of vision, you realize I don't want to play these games. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. (laughs) You know, yeah, it's really about like, I want access to everything, you know, but yes, when you actually take some metrics or some analytics on what you're actually playing, you know, I think that's why Sony hasn't really given much focus to, to backward compatible titles because even though it sounds really awesome to have that full library on one system, their marketing and their data shows that a lot of people don't really want to go back and play older games. They want to play the new Spider-Man game. They want to play God of War, they want to play Gran Turismo. Mm -hmm. And that's very compelling to say that. Now, Microsoft has a different mindset and it's Microsoft. You know, they they can take more of a gamble in that regard. And and like I said, backward compatibility is kind of a pillar of of what makes the Xbox what it is. So, yeah, Nate, I I agree with you in, in that sense that, you know, even though it sounds really good, how many people are actually going back and playing older games? Now, I personally welcome it because I want to be able to have one system that plays everything that I've ever owned, you know, but that's mm-hmm. that's obviously a pipe dream. But it would be nice if Sony does open that up for, for us. And, you know, I think the Spartacus initiative or whatever it's it's going to be called is um <laughs> is a great step in that direction. It's not yes. it's not true back and pat, as you mentioned. You can't just put your disc in and play your old games. It's a mm-hmm. carefully curated list of titles that they will be bringing up on this service, but hopefully it'll be a vast library of games and should keep you playing, you know, for months and months and months to come. And I'm kind of looking forward to it. 
Yeah, there's definitely a lot of PS1 games I would love to revisit and PS2 games, even PSP. And I think Sony is going to do their due diligence. They're going to court the proper third-party publishers and get as many of those classics on the service as they can. And the service is going to be phenomenal. I mean, on like I said, on paper, it sounds exciting. It sounds like Sony has a clear vision of what they want to deliver with it. And I think they will deliver. Yeah, I agree. It's, I agree. It's just a matter of time to see when it comes to market. And if we see some of those more extra features like trophy support, stuff like that be added to some of these classics but there's definitely a lot of playstation 2 games i would love to play again square enix you know what you have to do you have to add the bouncer <laughs> that'd be to actually, spartacus that would be pretty awesome and parasite a would be really cool too and fine hander <laughs> give, give us fine hander <laughs> but what about the playstation 1 classic i always pronounce it wrong <laughs> um the Final Fantasy fighting game. But oh, the main game, oh, you're a cube. Urguys or Urgies. Yeah. Yeah. Is it Urguys? I think it's Urguys. That's actually a, a little pretty decent game. I, I would like to see that come back. That, that's pretty fun. As a little kid, I called it like Ehagris <laughs> because it was just like a jumble of letters. I was like, what yeah. the hell? Someone in the comments is going to tell us we're both wrong and they're going to give us the, yeah. the correct pronunciation. But that's definitely uh, a title that. I would like to see uh, on this service. I remember when I bought it as a kid, I was like, I could fight Sephiroth and Cloud in this game. And then the main game was like, move this cube. <laughs> what the hell is this? <laughs> this isn't what I thought. I guess it's completely different. That's probably but the first fighting game where it had characters from another video game that really made me think, wow, yo, that's actually really cool that, that they're putting other characters into this game i didn't even think that was even allowed you know uh because before that you know you're playing like street fighter and um and mortal Kombat. you know <laughs> like those characters exist right. in those universes so to see the oh. the Urguys game come out was was quite refreshing absolutely and i hope i hope it's there with the bouncer so i can relive my like childhood memories of these games i bought and then said what did i do <laughs> especially the bouncer First PS2 game I bought, beat it in 45 minutes and said, oh, man, Oops. I bought uh, my first PS4 game was sorry. My my first PS2 game was Tekken 4. And uh, I, thought it was, I thought that was pretty damn good. So I'd like to see Tekken 4 in the service. I'd like to see like Tekken 4 Dead or Alive 2. Yep. There's or was it? It was DOA 2 double X. I think it was on PS2. Yeah. There's so, I mean, Gran Turismo 3. There's just so many classics that they could get on the service that I will gladly play as if it's part of the service. Like I may not buy them standalone, but I would just play them because they're there. Absolutely. Just to get that nostalgia itch satisfied. And, you know, it's something I'm definitely looking for. I'm looking forward to what Sony does with the service a lot more than what Nintendo does with NSO. Because right, right. I mean, it's just because of yeah. the PlayStation's legacy and rich software library. Yes. Plus, we don't even know what we're getting. We're getting one game a month from the NSO. We're getting Majora's Mask next month. Yeah. And we don't know what's happening after that. 
at least they kind of have been consistent with N64 editions of one game a month. I mean, we haven't had Super NES games since July. Right. Which isn't, that's not encouraging. But that's a topic for a different episode. That is true. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd like to remind all listeners that you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code NateTheHate at Manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use the code NateTheHate. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. Let me go into some of the Streamlabs questions for this week. And our first question comes from Liam Werner, who donated a dollar and asks, do you still think Microsoft is gearing up to possibly purchase Crystal Dynamics from Square Enix after the Activision announcement? I think it would be a a lot of that would have to do with how Perfect Dark ultimately comes out. And I mean, Square doesn't have anything for Crystal Dynamics to do. So if the financials make sense, I could see Microsoft making a move. Yeah, I I could see it happening. Like, yeah, I, I mean, Microsoft is not done acquiring companies. Let's be very clear on that. Whether they're going to pick up another one as this one is happening right now, I don't know. You know, um, yeah, but, probably not. Probably not. But look, Microsoft seems to be happy to open up the checkbook and, and buy companies. So could happen. Yeah. I mean, I think once Perfect Dark comes to market and we've got to see the fruits of their efforts with the initiative, I think that's when Microsoft kind of looks at the books and decides if they're made men or not. We then had a dollar donation from Drake the Love. I see what you did there. <laughs> and they write, hello, guys. Some of the best, if not the best duo in video game journalism. Thank you. Thank you. Ben had a dollar donation from Jackie G. Writes, in a world where Silent Hills released, <laughs> how well do you believe it would have sold? I mean, a Kojima-led Silent Hill game with... Norman Reedus as the main character. I think we've done pretty well. I think five to six million. I would say five million. The fact we don't live in that world is disappointing. How how many did Death Stranding sell? Because Death Stranding started Um, very slow, but it really picked up a lot. I want to say one of the figures I've seen recently was like 5.5. I'm going to I'm going to put it on the same level as Death Stranding. Starts oh. out slow but it's an evergreen game because it's Kojima. It's it's just going to keep selling. Yeah. I'd say 5 mil. 5 mil is a good number. Yeah. 5 mil is a strong number, especially for like a Silent Hills type of game. I mean, I'm not sure if a Silent Hill game ever eclipsed 5 million on its own. Because I think Silent Hill as like a franchise was only around 15 million total sales. So. And Nate, that's why you, you just <laughs> it's answered. coming that's back. That's why it's never coming. It's going to. Because it never blooper, sold. Blooper team. <laughs> <laughs> we then had a $3.99 donation from Matanume. Who writes, if the Rareware team who made Donkey Kong Country 
also made banjo and kazooie were also key members who made both ukulele games then why was the 3d platformer inspired game poor to play while the 2d platformer was well received Hmm. I'm going to let you take a shot at answering that. I have my own thoughts, but I want to hear your take on this one. See, ukulele, the 3D version of ukulele, I'd say it played a lot like Banjo-Kazooie from the 90s. It felt like a 90s-inspired 3D platformer, which is actually one of the problems with it. The 2D game felt like a more modern 2D platformer game. It felt like it took a lot of inspiration from Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze in terms of approach and game design. Um, I think Ukulele, the 3D one, was just... I don't know if it was poor to play. It just felt dated. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you just said about Ukulele. And that is, it is just a Banjo-Kazooie game and it's taken all the things that haven't aged very well and brought it to a modern audience, you know, mm-hmm. the, the unskippable um, text speech stuff, you know, the, the the absolute collect-a-thon of that game where you have to find everything before you can proceed to the next level, all that stuff. There's a lot of gameplay mechanics that haven't aged very well, you know. It's definitely a love letter to Banjo-Kazooie, no question about it, but... I think that the the second game is yeah it's it's a more modern you know game that really does appeal to a more modern audience it's you know there's there's something to be said about those those classic N64 platform games that all of them are fantastic games but a lot of them haven't really you know aged particularly well you could even argue that GoldenEye even though I love GoldenEye if you just brought <laughs> GoldenEye to um, a modern audience, a lot of people wouldn't like it. And I've heard a lot of people suggest that to be the case. And I think there's a lot of merit to that, you know. So if you are going to do that, you really have to take a close look at the gameplay and just refine it. And not to, you know, float my own boat, but that's what we do at Night Dive Studios. We're we're really big on that sort of stuff. You know, if we're gonna uh-huh. if we're gonna remake a game like Turok, which you know, the control system on the N64 is, I mean, let's be honest, it's its pretty tedious, you know, to get your head around the controls of that game. You know, one of the things we're going to do is really modernize it to make it as, as seamless as possible. So anyone that's coming in the first time to play this game isn't thinking, wow, this is a game that's like, feels like it came out 20 years ago or something, you know. Right. Yeah, it's the thing with like Turok with, the inclusion of motion controls it felt so natural in the game but it added that fresh take it just it felt so modern to play that you wouldn't really believe that the game was as old as it was mm-hmm. and i think that was the thing just with the ukulele as a 3d platformer it just felt dated yeah. and it whether that was intentional in their design philosophy or it was just a reflection of where their expertise laid, you know, it's tough to say, but I think they are aware of the shortcomings there. And if they were to make another 3D one, they would address it with more modern takes and feel and flow to the character movement and general game design. Then had a $3 donation from 
Auric305 writes, Happy belated New Year, guys. My first question is for MVG. What is the most annoying and or difficult part of emulation? Does it vary depending on the game slash original platform? Or are there some common headaches in emulation? It does vary depending on the game slash platform. But as an overarching thing, I would say audio emulation is by far the most tedious, at least for me. because. You, it's one thing to to have a game running under emulation, but having it sound the way it's supposed to is another, you know, entirely different thing. And you know that's why you kind of see some of these um, these kind of cheaper retro uh, machines that you can get off Amazon for real cheap that that play games pretty well, but most of them don't sound very good at all. The sound is just horrible sometimes to the point where you just want to turn it off. So for me, it's always been the audio side. Getting getting authentic audio is is very very tedious sometimes. So I would I would I would go and say that. But it does depend on the hardware. There's no question about it because you can't compare emulating like a Game Boy Color game with you know even like a Game Boy Advance game. Like there's there's a mm-hmm. lot of differences between those two things. So, but yeah, ultimately, I think audio is is the one for me. And that had a $3 donation from Auric305 saying, this one is for Nate. You are usually pretty careful with discussing rumors, leaks, and other early information you got on games. What was the juiciest bit of information, non-rumor, that you've had to keep quiet on? I'm not sure. Is he trying to get you to leak something that you're not supposed to I think to so. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I'm not sure how to answer that question. <laughs> Best not to then, I think. Maybe not. <laughs> He's tricking then, Yes, like they tried to trick you last week with yeah. Silent Hill. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't take the bait on that one. <laughs> then had a dollar donation from Traveler of the Stars. He writes, on Jeff Grubb's recent Grub Snacks podcast, he said that Nick from Xbox Era heard something about a Super Mario Musso game. This really caught me off guard since I've heard no rumors whatsoever about this. So, Nate, have you heard anything about this? I have heard nothing about that. I, I know the developers had expressed an interest in making a Super Mario Muso game. Now, whether or not Koei Tecmo has actually greenlit a Super Mario Muso game is above my pay grade right now. I have not heard any whispers of such a game in development. I think it would be a curious take i kind of just envision it as a 3d mario game where he's just brutally kicking goombas but yeah i haven't heard anything to support that rumor on my side i'd be very surprised if that's actually in development though (laughs) then had a five dollar donation from dan who writes why doesn't playstation put game pass on their system if you could play all the Microsoft games on PlayStation, why would you ever buy an Xbox? Consumers would only own one console. PlayStation sales would be through the roof. PlayStation could charge whatever they wanted for console. I mean, I have I have my thoughts on that. And I will say that Sony will never, ever, ever have Game Pass on PlayStation. Just won't happen. It's not something that they're interested in. I think... You know, a lot of it has to do with 
you know, the the competition uh, of the two companies, you know. I don't want to say console wars because that's that's something I don't even want to think. It's not even a thing, right? But just <laughs> it's Sony will not bend the knee and put Game Pass on their service, no matter what potential benefits they may get from. At the end of the day, Sony wins if, I'm sorry, Microsoft wins if Game Pass ends up on Sony hardware. That's mm-hmm. That's kind of the bottom line. Sony doesn't need Game Pass. They are, you know, their approach is we're going to make big blockbuster AAA games, most of them over-the-shoulder single-player narrative experiences. Hopefully, we will start to look at our backward compatibility legacy and bring those to to Spartacus, as we've mentioned. And I think that approach is going to continue to work for them. They've got the Marvel games, they've got Spider-Mans, they've got the Wolverines, Game Pass is not really anything that they need on their service. They're already introducing their own version of that, as we as we discussed. I would be very surprised. I mean, I wouldn't be 100% surprised because this is video <laughs> games and we've already seen a lot of things happen over the last few years are just, you know, open mouth moments. But I would be very surprised if we ever saw Game Pass on PlayStation. I would be less surprised if we saw it on Nintendo but I, I, for the same kind of reasons, it's hard for me to imagine Game Pass running on anything other than Xbox and PC and, and phones via, you know, cloud services. See, and the curious thing is Microsoft would be okay with that. And as they, like, frame in their question, like, you don't have to buy, buy one console. And right. Microsoft would say, as long as you're subscribing to our service, and they've already said it, we don't care where you game. PC, phone. We just want you to subscribe to our service, which is Game Pass. That is our interest. So, I mean, in Microsoft's case, they would love Game Pass on PlayStation, Nintendo, every device out there. It's for that platform holder to look at that and say, this doesn't benefit us. And that's what Sony has done. They've looked at it and said, no, Game Pass coming to our service would not benefit us. Right. This benefits Microsoft's bottom line, and that's likely why you would never see it happen. Now, could Microsoft in future make Game Pass such an enticing product that Sony has to look at it and say, we have to put it on our service for this reason? Potentially, it'll take years to make it that appetizing, and that could be Microsoft's long-term goal but in the immediate, it's not in Sony's interest, and it's not going to change in the yeah. you know foreseeable future. I mean, I think the message is loud and clear with Spartacus. You know, yeah, they're We're, catering to their audience, right. their legacy, their history, and that's what they want consumers to engage with and invest themselves in. And that's that's why, as we mentioned, it's a Game Pass competitor in a sense. Yes. Not an exact one-to-one comparison, but they do have similarities. That had a $5 donation from Dan, who writes, Are there tiers to programming in video games? If you had to pick the most difficult part, is it the programmers who can make the game engines? I think people like John Carmack seem brilliant, but are they looked at that way behind the scenes? I don't really necessarily think there's tiers in in that regard because I think when you make games, there are a lot of very important roles when it comes to making games. 
So I, I don't really see it as tears. You know, I think years of experience is is probably something that you're thinking more about. You know, so you, let's say you graduated from from college and you came into a game development job as a programmer, you'd start out as a junior, but you'd kind of gain more experience and then kind of work your way to a mid-tier and then as a senior and then maybe a lead, you know, in five years. But, man, there's so many important jobs in game development that I don't really see it that way, you know, because a producer's role is as important as a developer, an engine developer or a, um, a, a VFX person or an audio engineer or even QA. You know, QA is is a very important role when it comes mm-hmm. to, you know, making games. Mm-hmm. So I don't really see it as a tiered thing, you know. Um, you're kind of an, a, an expert in your own field, but it really is the collaboration and, and you know, the chemistry of, the kind of collective that Mm -hmm. ultimately will, will make a really good game at the end of the day. Yeah. It's the contributions of everybody without, as you mentioned, like Q and a without Q and a, the game doesn't ship. Yep. They have to, they find the problems so that another member of the team can then address them to fix. So the game can come to market and without the designer, the producer, it's every single individual at a game developer is an essential cog. If one's not there, the machine doesn't move. And that's, that's the good way to look at it. Then had a $3 donation from Afro Ahmed, who writes buried in VGC's October, 2021 report about a metal gear solid three remake was Konami's plans to remaster the original metal gear games for modern consoles. Wondering if you heard anything to corroborate this would be great to have them on the switch. I never heard anything about the original metal gear games, which I would assume in this case is referring to the NES metal gear games. And the only thing I had ever heard was that a metal gear solid one remake was being shopped around and considered and one of the developers at the time that was being mentioned in it was blue point the blue point information of that rumor seems to be inaccurate or it appears to be based on the information they've shared about following the acquisition as to whether or not such a project exists it's entirely possible konami has worked closely with developers like Virtuos in the past. So Virtuos could potentially be handling a Metal Gear Solid 3 remake or some sort of remaster of the older Metal Gear or Metal Gear Solid games. It's really a question. I mean, Konami was supposed to be at E3 in 2021. They canceled at the last minute and they still have not made any meaningful software announcements. So they're either gearing up for some big releases and announcements or no one knows what they're doing. I assume it's going to be the former and they do have something to announce in the near future Are you saying or at least this year silent all this time <laughs> standing on a hill. <laughs> then had a dollar donation from Liam Werner who writes similar to the question I asked last episode, but with the recent magazine leak, Do you think Nintendo is gearing up to reveal another Kirby coming this year for the anniversary? I wasn't sure if it was real, but John covered it, so I assumed it was. 
the magazine leak, I believe, is a case of mistranslation. When you read one of the translations, it reads more as though Nintendo Dream Magazine next month is going to have information on the new Kirby game. They will also have information on another title, not necessarily related to Kirby. It can just be another Switch game in general. I think that's the accurate read. Now, could there be another Kirby game coming in 2022 for the anniversary? Yes, we've seen them put out like the Kirby Fighter games on the eShop and smaller digital games in the Kirby franchise fairly frequent. So I could see that happening in 2022 as well. But I don't believe the magazine description was specifically highlighting a new Kirby announcement. I think it's just a new game announcement that could encompass anything and everything. Then had a $5.57 donation from Dr. J. And they write, Everyone assumes Nintendo will stick with a single hybrid console. But in the GameCube, Game Boy Advance era, they surprised everyone with the third pillar, Nintendo DS. How likely is new hardware, like a VR console or a budget handheld, which isn't a Switch successor? Uh, I mean, for those two specific examples, I'd probably say low. I think your train of thought is a good one to have. There's nothing that is forcing Nintendo to only make hybrid consoles moving forward. I do think we will see Nintendo introduce hardware that is not in the Switch line within the next five to ten years. Yeah, I would agree with that. And like that's why whenever it comes up like, oh, the Switch like a next gen system for Nintendo, everyone says, oh, you know, Switch 2, Switch 3. I wouldn't go with that line of thought. I think Nintendo will deviate from this. Yeah. And it's just a matter of when. And, you know, when that time comes, it'd be interesting to see what Nintendo has come up with. That's the last Streamlabs question for this week. If you'd like to support the channel, we have a Streamlabs link in our description below. Donate any amount. Ask a question. We will answer it at the end of the episode. Donate $100 or more, and we will dedicate the episode to you. I'd like to thank NVG for joining me as always. Always a pleasure, Knight. Thanks for having me on. And let us know your thoughts on PlayStation VR 2 and Project Spartacus and Sony's approach to legacy software in the comment section below. And if you liked the episode, be sure to give the video a like. If you didn't, give it a dislike. And until next time, continue to embrace the hate.